Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Run. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kind for being part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Like we had this morning, we have Wendell Potter. So if those who saw it this morning, get a second crack at it this afternoon. Those who didn't see it, which is going to be most, will get a chance to see it as well. Anyway, folks, we're going to have a great show for you. E2247 is in the house. Welcome aboard E2247. Likewise, it's Paul Fleming Sr., Paul Fleming Seniors is in the house. The one and only Bridge MCP is with us as well. Paul Fleming, Alistair Waters, Bridge MCP. Uh, let's see. We got Yvette Avery Herod signed in. Ah, she almost beat AVQ this time, but AVQ is not staying with us. Anyway, Paul Fleming says Republicans are demanding more cuts to IRS funding. Remember, one, this helps the rich cheat on their taxes. Two, this drives up the deficit since more of the rich people's go uh, rich people's taxes go unpaid. Three, this makes it harder for you to get your refund quickly or get the IRS customer support. I tell you, shame, 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 but that is true. Eric Hayes says instead of loose lips sinking ships, looks like tight lips will in this administration. The Lloyd Austin fallout is growing. Someone's head has to roll. The defense chief is facing criticism to keep his bosses in the dark. I think he should have said that he's was under the gun or under the I think so. But is is that something heads got to roll? Well, I don't think so. I think his work speaks for him. Why do we try to have different different levels of penalties depending on who it is? I mean, Eric, I don't think you really get a chance to talk about what anybody does after having voted for Donald Trump and not supporting his impeachment and not supporting his removal from the ticket, etc. I think you admit that laissez-faire is fine. You admit that the Constitution doesn't even matter. So you don't get that right. My brother, love you, but you don't get that right. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Lee Grant says, I hope the posse can continue our examination of wokeism in the current year. Recently, playwright David Mamet slammed progressive culture by noting that wokeism is the worst thing ever seen in my life. Um, I, I don't. That wokeism is a is a joke. And I would I would love some as uh, some pro some anti woke person to engage in a debate with me. I would love them to call the phone, call up on the phone, and let's go over what they believe is woke one item at a time. I would love to go through that. You know, it's wokeism to treat to teach the correct things about slavery. It's, a, it's wokeism to teach the truth about uh, what Thanksgiving was really about. It's wokeism to to talk about all the things that we have done that we should really atone for. If that is wokeism, call me woke, because one of the reasons I will contend that we have the angst in America right now is that America has fooled itself for a very long time. America has lived a myth for a very long time. From the foundation of this country, we have actually lived a myth. We have succeeded as the most powerful country in the world in spite of having lived a myth. We have succeeded in this country 
because of the people in this country and we have succeeded because we've done wrong and right. A lot of our imperialism killed a lot of people for our own success, but we are able to abstract it in a manner that folks don't get it, that folks don't understand, but you never learned that in school. And if they attempt to teach you these things, you're being woke. So Lee Grant, if woke is telling you the truth that you never knew, guilty as charged, I'm woke. I believe in wokeism. Because I think we would do better as a country. I think we would do a lot better as a country if we learned our true history and not the myth we've allowed others to talk and tell. How great it would be if we understood that the, 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 the myth of what others thought about those that came into the country wasn't true. How great it would be if the if if when you learned about uh, what Donald Trump has been talking about when he talks about polluting the blood or infecting the I mean if all of we if we learned that all of that was crap if we learned that this infallibility of our founders was never there if we learned that we would have a bit more humility around the world if we learned that most of the problems in the world that's coming to bite us right now was self-inflicted. Amazing, right? Amazing what these truities would do. This what you call wokeness would do. If you only knew the truth. But you don't. Okay, but I'm waiting for your correction saying you were wrong. About what? If you prove me wrong on anything... I would be more than happy to confess that I was wrong, but ha you have yet to do that. Alistair Waters says the chain of command was never compromised. We know that, Alistair, but, you know, these guys need something to talk about. Now, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I wish Austin, I don't know the, the whole breakdown, but I wish others were informed and the, I wish the president was informed and I wonder if the president was informed and there's just something there because notice his apology went to the press. It didn't go to the president. So I don't know. Uh, Bree says he should have said something, but it's not a huge deal. Yes, he should have. Uh, Eric Hayes says Afghanistan, no generals were held accountable for 13 dead soldiers. Well, man, if, if no, why? I mean, soldiers are in a fight. Some will die. That's what you signed up for. But the, you know who didn't sign up to die? The, 20, the 23,000 Palestinians in Gaza, they didn't sign up to die. I wonder how many Palestinian, I mean, uh, Israeli generals will go face a court for genocide. I don't know, but they should. Uh, let's see. Eric Hayes says, has affirmative action hit Hollywood in the awards voting? Why? I didn't, I didn't see the global war. Did, is that maybe, could it be that, well, will you tell me why you're saying that? I don't know. Mike Cisak says, so wokeism can't really be defined by the left, just as socialism can't be defined by the left either. I don't know what you're talking about, uh, Mike Cisak, but I, I imagine somewhere in your mind, something is going on. Woke because they can't spell empathy, equality, etc. Thank you, sweetheart. That's great. And I hope the sweetheart 
I would call a guy a great heart too. Okay. I don't want to come across as sexist. So forgive me if I, if I did. Persuasive Barry says CRT trans and woke is used to attack schools locally, get books banned, teach banned and all the silliness that comes with. It. Yeah, I know it, it's, you know, it, it is to keep you, it is to keep you off balance so that the things that really affect us all, we can get around. Interview 95 to 100-year-old people. Ask them why they're so healthy. Well, I, that's a good idea. Mike C. Texas, we have succeeded despite the authoritarian political left. That's a joke. Uh, let's see. Persuasive barriers. Let's see how Eric Hayes responds. Has been programmed to care about nonsense concerns. That's what they do. Paul Fleming says, uh, what are your solutions for taxing billionaires? Many don't have a salary. All their money is invested in business. Remember, Steve Jobs' salary was a dollar. Some donate money each year to a charity they own or their friends' charities and forego taxes, which is questionable. The citizens create hedge funds and companies. Exactly. No, we need a wealth tax. In Texas, we just passed a law against the state being able to apply a wealth tax. But we need a federal wealth tax, period. That's what we need. All right, let's see what else we got here. Persuasive Barry said, Mike CSEC supports overthrowing democracy, but it's the authoritarian. <laughs> I know it's funny, isn't it? Uh, Bridge MCP says 23K up to 30K and up to 30K? Wow. You got to see that. That's sad. Paul Femme, even if the justices do leave Donald Trump on the ballot, his positions as to pro-insurrection candidate is really in doubt right now. He's not running for the insurrection. He's embracing it. I know. Uh, Mike C. says Paul Femme, maybe federal government should stop spending so much money on unconstitutional stuff. Oh, unconstitutional stuff is stuff not for you. The stuff for you is constitutional, though. Woke teaches accurate history and who to blame for it. I agree. I agree. I believe you. I, I bet right now you still believe Mike Cisak. I mean, uh, uh, Lee Grant, that that Thanksgiving was how the 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 pilgrims or or, or the the settlers and and the uh, and the, uh, the the indigenous celebrated in all harmony, right? And things were so nice, and and they they got along so well, right? That's what you learned. Of course, it's a lie. You know. And we could go item over item that we've learned that is but a lie, right? You know, Daniel Edo says the left needs to get handle on their internal civil war. Duds, do you see the ceasefire leftists numb that shame Biden in black church today? Y'all have to fix Israeli Hamas split in a part. No, we don't. We can agree to disagree. I completely disagree with Biden on Israel. Completely. Am I voting for Biden? You bet your life I am because I'm voting my interest. And that is what, what we are teaching our progressive folks. Don't ever go there and, and agree with Biden on Israel because that is a fraud. Israel, uh, Israel is effecting genocide in Gaza. That's a fact. And you can, I mean, you don't, your eyes are not lying to you. It's a fact that genocide is being in, inflicted in Israel right now. Okay. All right, Berto, you claim Trump said he would jail his political opponents and would be authoritarian or something like that. And it claims said that it's on NBC and and claim Trump said it on an NBC interview. Uh, I said, I said, what? 
uh, on first of all, in a debate, Trump did say lock Hillary Clinton up. She would lock her up. Look it up. It's on tape. I don't have to apologize for just repeating what he said on tape. That's all. Okay. Anyhow, we got to go to our first interview. And of course, foolish me didn't rack it up, but I am racking it up right now. The first interview and it's with Wendell Potter. Take a look at it. And I think it's very, very important. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Listen, folks. He is an American advocate for health insurance payment reform. He is a former health insurance industry executive, a communications director. He is the New York Times bestselling author of Deadly Spin, an insurance company insider speaks out on how corporate PR is killing healthcare and deceiving Americans. He's a critic of HMOs and the tactics used by health insurers. Wendell Potter is one of our leading national advocates for major reforms of the insurance industry, including a supporter of Medicare for All and universal health care. He is that voice that we need to be listening to right now, especially in these times. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Senor Potter. Well, you said, Wendell, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? Thank you. And please do call me Wendell. It's good to be on the show. Thank you so much. Well, look, let me let me tell you, um, it has gone from bad to worse. I remember during the Affordable Care Act, you had said, watch what's going to happen if we don't get the public option in the Medicare expansion. They will game it again. I, I, I just want to start there before we get into the core of what we're going to talk about. Your thoughts. That's right. Uh, I testified before Congress a number of times when members of Congress were debating what became the Affordable Care Act. And I said that if they pass that bill without a very good public option, that they might as well call their bill the Health Insurance Industry Profit Protection and Enhancement Act. Uh, the House did pass a version of the bill that had a public option. The Senate did not. Uh, and so we, we wound up without it. And uh, uh, I hate to say I told you so, but since that time, big insurance companies have gotten so much bigger, so much more profitable. They're massively bigger than they were uh, when I uh, was in the industry and at that time, uh, to the point that uh, two of those big insurance companies are now uh, number five and number six on the Fortune 500 of the biggest American companies. Uh, their profits are outsized and they are just able to do pretty much what they want to do. They're controlling our healthcare system in ways that uh, I feared, and uh, we've simply got to do something about it. We really need to wake up to what's going on. Now, you were you were an an insider. You were a part of this whole entire uh, insurance industrial complex, if, if you will. What within your soul made you say, you know what? I'm going to leave these millions of dollars that I uh, that I my future worth would be. And I'm going to do what's morally right. What got into you that uh, because. I, I want to, for the audience, I want to say something that's important, Wendell. The current people in the healthcare industry, in the insurance industry, they are doing 
their fiduciary responsibility, which is to maximize the profits for their shareholders, enhancing the executive bonuses. They're doing nothing illegal. They're doing what they're supposed to do. You are just a cog in the system. What Wendell has said is that's not how a healthcare system should be run. It shouldn't be run in that framework. Run with that, sir. Well, that's right. When I first started working in healthcare, I was working for a nonprofit hospital system in Tennessee, where I'm from. Uh, then I went from there to work for Humana uh, and then Cigna. So 20 years I spent inside uh, two of the biggest insurance companies in the country. And I at first was uh, unaware of the implications of for-profit companies or Wall Street controlling our healthcare system. But I became uh, more and more aware of the consequences as I uh, rose up through the ranks at those companies. Uh, I was able to see things that most people do not have a chance to see. I worked very closely with the CEO and the CFO, the investor relations team. I came to just see uh, and understand how Wall Street does control our healthcare system or controls those companies and any other country a company that uh, is uh, an investor based or in, you know owned by investors i had a crisis of conscience in my first career i was a newspaper reporter and i tried to make sure that i was telling the truth and never obscuring anything that was important for people to know but i came to realize that's exactly what i was doing in my role i was vice president of corporate communications for cigna i worked uh, uh you know one of my 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 name was on every one of the company's earnings releases for 10 years so i had to know how these companies made money uh what where it came from and what they did with it and i came to realize that uh, the way they made their profits was in many cases making sure that people did not get the care that they needed and the system that we had in place was one in which increasingly Americans were not able to buy insurance. 50 million people didn't have insurance when I left the industry and when Congress began debating what became the Affordable Care Act. I came from a humble beginnings. I uh, grew up in uh, rural East Tennessee and uh, a working class family, farming family. Uh, and I know what poverty is like. I know what it is like when people do not have access to care. Uh, and I, uh, some things happened to me uh, a few months before I decided to leave my job that just made it abundantly clear to me that I was doing the wrong thing, that I was making, I, I was contributing to the problems in our healthcare system. And I decided I couldn't do that anymore. You know, you tell a story about uh, seeing people come down from the hills to, uh, to uh, a health to, to get healthcare to get free healthcare and the, the impact it had on you on on you your psyche. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, while I was still in my job, I flew back to visit family in East Tennessee, and I read in the hometown newspaper about something that I'd never heard of before. An organization called Remote Area Medical was uh, hosting a big outdoor clinic or a clinic at a, a county fairground not too far from where I grew up. I was curious because the article said people would be coming from hundreds of miles away, even as far away as Ohio and and Florida to get care that was being provided free by doctors and nurses and dentists who were volunteering their time over three days. This was in late July. And I went there again out of curiosity. And I saw something that just shook me to my core when I went into the fairground. Uh, People were lined up by the hundreds waiting patiently to get care. 
it was raining that day. So these people were soaking wet, but they were not going to be leaving their lines uh, to because they had been, in many cases, sleeping in their cars for days uh, to get an opportunity to go inside the fairground to, to get the care that they needed. And I, I saw that some of those lines led to barns and animal stalls on that fairground site. Uh, this was a county fairground. Uh, and I just uh, uh, immediately realized that I had to take some responsibility for what I was seeing because my job was to help perpetuate the system that we had in place, the system that still is in place. And I made a commitment that day that I would uh, have to find some other way to earn a living. I saw people there who could have been people I grew up with could have been my neighbors, could have been high school friends, could have been relatives of mine. Uh, and I, uh, I, I, the tears stole down my, uh, flowed down my, my face as I was looking at what I was seeing. And uh, I, uh, I, I made a commitment uh, to, to try to figure out what I could do about that. I didn't think I would be a whistleblower. Uh, but I just uh, knew that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, despite the fact that I was making quite a bit of money. You know, it's interesting because you're a whistleblower, a, a, a whistleblower, and you've blown the whistle and you blow the whistle over and over again. And it's amazing how the gravity of the system is so self-sustaining. One of the, the things that I that I promise to do in my life and with my platform and and hopefully with with your help and the help of everybody else is to just let the average rank and file american understand what you saw there is not an anomaly but it's something that's out there throughout this country the richest country in the world where we can't get the health care that we not that we deserve but the health care that as a rich country we have all earned we have all earned, irrespective of whether you are a McDonald's flipper or an executive in a, in a corporation. Now, um, it turns out that um, in the past, one of the reasons Medicare came into be is because private insurance couldn't quite find a way to profit from the health care on older people. So therefore, right. as usual, the things that are not that that the private sector cannot make a dollar on, they usually pass it on to the government. The government will take care of that. So mm-hmm. Medicare was passed on to the government. Now, following that, bribing politicians, these guys figured out a way we can take back Medicare in a more secure, in a more advantageous way for us. Why don't you explain to us that procedure that occurred that has led us now to Medicare Advantage, a big one of the largest frauds on on the American taxpayers? You know, you're exactly right. Uh, insurance companies had no interest in trying to insure older people, uh, people on fixed incomes, people who didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they, those people couldn't afford their premiums. Uh, so that you're right. That's why the Medicare program was created. Uh, but over the past several years now, uh, past 20 years in particular, uh, these companies have figured out because of their closeness to politicians, they were able to convince politicians uh, that let us take care of access to care for people who are enrolled in Medicare. We can do it more efficiently. We can make sure that people get the care that they need and cost 
taxpayers less money. That certainly was, uh, they, they sold policymakers a bill of goods. Uh, I, at the time, thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that is uh, something that can be pulled off. So I was going along with it. Uh, but what we have seen is that uh, more and more taxpayer dollars are going straight into these big companies. And what they're doing uh, through their Medicare Advantage plans, Medicare Advantage, by the way, was created in 2003 uh, by uh, when Congress passed what was referred to or called the Medicare Modernization Act. Mm -hmm. It created not only the uh, version of private Medicare that we have now, but also the Part D prescription drug Mm -hmm. plan. And both of those programs have turned out to be extraordinarily big cash cows for big insurance companies. And they have been aggressively uh, marketing uh, these plans to the point that more than half of people who are eligible for Medicare in America these days are enrolled in one of these plans. And and they're extraordinarily profitable because these companies have been able to rig the system to get more and more money out of the federal government, out of uh, our tax dollars. And uh, one other way that they're able to make so so much money is by refusing to pay for care that people need. Uh, there's a, a practice called prior authorization that is used aggressively uh, by these companies uh, to make sure that people are not getting the care that their doctors know they need. So people are dying. People are dying prematurely because of these denials and delays of care in Medicare Advantage. Now, let me ask the question this way. How do you convince a politician that a government uh, who is administering Medicare Whose sole, whose sole expense is administering that bill, figuring out how to pay, figuring out if there's fraud here or there, compared to a private company that has to pay ex- high-paid executives, that have to pay bonuses, that has to pay shareholder dividends, that has duplicative services, meaning if there are several insurance companies, each of them have their own database database administrators, uh, advertising budgets, all that sort of stuff. All of those are all costs coming out of that same pot that the government would have to spend out of if it didn't. In other words, all those costs are costs not going towards healthcare. It's going towards administering. Why would they fall for the private sector fallacy that's been told many a times that in every case, the private sector is more efficient than the public sector? Really three ways. Uh, One is obscuring that kind of information to hide that, to not talk about that. You don't ever lead with that kind of information. Uh, The other is uh, uh, through relationships and ideology. You are able to convince uh, politicians that you have helped uh, fund their campaigns uh, that are ideologically aligned with your point of view, who who have the opinion that the private sector can do anything better than the government more efficiently. Uh, and uh, a lot of politicians, a lot of people buy into that. They, We in this country have this notion that the capitalistic system uh, is sacred and uh, something that uh, can always do a better job of of uh, whatever it might be than the federal government. So you have that. But the other thing is what I was alluding to, campaign contributions and lobbying. Uh, these companies are able to uh, shell out millions and millions of dollars every election uh, 
to campaigns and they uh, send money to both Republicans and Democrats. And that's protection money. Uh, and they spend a lot of money on lobbyists. Every uh, big company has a lobbyist uh, on staff, but also spend enormous sums of money hiring uh, firms that do lobbying in Washington and the state capitals. So you have all of those things playing together. And that in that has got us to where we are now. Uh, it's lying and obscuring information. It is uh, uh, lobbying and it is campaign contributions and just frankly, ideology. Uh, so many people are blind to the fact that uh, these companies are ripping off taxpayers left and right. You know, um, before I, I came on with you, um, every the first Saturday of every month, I have a program, an addendum to my radio show called Ask Egberto Anything. And I told them today that I was speaking to you and, you know, uh, they were very happy to know, wow, you're speaking to Wendell. Ask him two specific questions. Since we're talking about Medicare Advantage, they said, what can we do to change the name Medicare Advantage to something more appropriate to let people know Medicare Advantage is neither an advantage nor is it Medicare? One thing is to support a bill that was introduced by two members of Congress, uh, Congressman Mark Pocan of Wisconsin and Rokana of California. Uh, they are the lead sponsors of a bill that would uh, prohibit these companies from even using the name Medicare in their marketing materials. Uh, that is really important because people don't know the difference. Uh, and the advertising that they do uh, conflates the two programs. People don't know that Medicare Advantage is really a privately operated uh, big business. They don't really understand that. And the advertising purposely obscures that. Uh, so that's one thing. One is to support that legislation, to write letters, make phone calls to your members of Congress to support that. Uh, and also to support legislation that would uh, crack down on how they're marketing these plans. There's also, there are also bills before Congress that would do that. We're, I'm seeing that members of Congress are beginning to wake up, uh, certainly on the Democratic side, but even Republicans are beginning to understand how the program that they largely created uh, has been ripping off taxpayers, has been depleting the Medicare trust fund. Uh, so, but it requires people to reach out to their members of Congress and say, this is something that has to change. And the various ways we have to change it is number one, like you are, were saying, keep these companies from even using the name Medicare in their, in their marketing materials. The next question, uh, and, and this, I think is a difficult question. I don't even know where to start, but right now we spend more than twice what probably the most expensive country spends right now on their health care. Um, how can we, forgetting about insurance and all of that, how can we reduce the amount that's being spent on health care, given that our outcomes are no better than the other countries? Well, you really do have to have a fundamental rehaul of our healthcare system to do that. The big reason, the biggest reason is because of administrative costs in this country, uh, about a third of what we spend. And we now spend four and a half trillion dollars on healthcare altogether, uh, which is, you're, you're exactly right, is twice as much as the average of all the other developed countries in the world. Uh, and they provide, those other countries provide better care than we do, and they provide universal coverage, and we don't. Uh, and it's largely because, number one, the administrative cost, when you have all these insurance companies and for-profit entities involved in healthcare, every one of those uh, adds to administrative costs. When you have these private insurance companies operating 
All of those companies have high administrative overhead, but they make it necessary for doctors and hospitals to also have administrators, people who do nothing more than work day in and day out with big insurance companies. Uh, so that's a big thing. And the other is to just curtail the power of these big companies, break them up. Uh, you've got, like I said, uh, United Healthcare is the fourth largest company in America. CVS, which owns Aetna, uh, is the sixth largest. Cigna, where I used to work, is the 15th largest. They're far, far bigger than they were when the Affordable Care Act was passed. We've got to work with our members of Congress and the administration with the FTC to call for these companies to be broken up because we're getting to the point that you've got just a very, very few large corporations uh, run by Wall Street and investors uh, that uh, is really calling the shots. And they don't have any incentive in bringing down the cost of care because as the cost of hospital care goes up, as the cost of drugs go, go up, these big insurance companies just increase premiums. Uh, and that is costing our employers and all of us as employees and taxpayers uh, enormous sums of money that uh, that's simply unknown in other countries. Um, as as a as someone who understands that Medicare for all, healthcare for all, universal healthcare, whatever you want to call it, one word we are all uh, that we are all uh, have healthcare. It's a right that we all have healthcare. I understand that if there's a single payer handling that, I understand that if we take the for-profit method out of the delivery of the service, out of the uh, administrative service, that it would be more efficient. My question to you, given the infrastructure that we have in this unwieldy system, what would be the pathway, what would be the migration from this unwieldy system into a well-organized healthcare for all system? It's a good, good, very good question. And I think there are various ways of getting there. One is to try to get it done in Washington. That's a very, very heavy lift, as we've seen. Uh, there are organizations that have been trying to get that to happen for more than 30 years. Uh, uh, the other is through the states. Uh, and some states are uh, considering legislation, California in particular, uh, but also other states have uh, legislation that will be considered that would create a state-based single-payer system or some kind of a system that would be similar to other countries around the world, other developed countries that are doing this much better than we are. So that's that's one way. I think it is going to be very, very hard for us to see that kind of change in Washington until we do something about who is in Congress. Uh, you've got the makeup of Congress now uh, such that it's, it's, it's not going to happen in the foreseeable future. So we've got to get involved in the political process. My second book was called Nation on the Take, How Big Money Corrupts Our Democracy and What We Can Do About It. And that is at the core of the problem that we have, is that these companies are, are being able to control the, the levers of power in Washington and the state capitals. We've really got to address that. And whenever I have a chance to talk to people who support single-payer healthcare, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, uh, or just to uh, progressively improve the system that we have, uh, you're running up against the power of these big corporations that spend so much money, uh, as, as we were talking earlier. So you've got to do something. Uh, as uh, advocates, try to devote some, some time and attention to money in politics, because that is so important, so fundamental, and it's a big barrier to getting to where we need to be. Uh, Wendell, uh, my last question is always the same. What would you have liked me to ask you or what should I have asked you that I didn't? I don't know that I 
You've covered uh, fundamentally, I think, the biggest questions, the biggest reasons why uh, we are where we are and what we need to do. I think uh, that I would say that uh, to get to universal coverage, uh, let's not get hung up necessarily on one one path. Uh, we've got to consider how else can we get there? What other things can can happen? And I would say that employers have a big responsibility as well, too, because so many of us get our coverage through the workplace. I would encourage people to talk to their employers, to their HR people, uh, to protest the fact that every year our premiums go up, our out-of-pockets go up. So we've got to wake up and realize that our pockets are being picked day in and day out. I lead a coalition of organizations called Lower Out-of-Pockets Now. There's stuff that has to be done that's incremental before we get to single-payer health care so that we're not spending so much money uh, and not being able to pick up our medications not being able to go to the doctor because of the high out-of-pocket costs that we are subjected to. So there's a lot that we can do as advocates other than uh, just supporting Medicare for all or universal health care, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we've got problems right now. People are dying every single day because of the practices of these companies. So I would encourage people to pay attention to that and call on their lawmakers to do something about the things that can be fixed right away. Uh, rather than uh, looking down the road to achieving uh, a healthcare system that is more just, we've got there's some steps we can take right now to get us where we uh, closer to where we need to be. I'm glad you said that because that also helps me because there are certain times that I I just want to jump on it and get it done all right away. But you're absolutely right. There are things that we can do incrementally right now that eventually puts us on the path there. Uh, Wendell, you have a newsletter that is packed with information. And I tell you what, I, I am ashamed that I didn't quite read your newsletter before. I just read the material that you put out there in the, in the ethos all of the times. I found that I, sub, I became, I just want you to know, I became a paid subscriber of your newsletter today. Why don't you tell people how they can find your newsletter? My newsletter, thank you, Gabriel. It's uh, uh, it's called Healthcare Uncovered or Wendell Potter's Healthcare Uncovered on the Substack platform. You can find it at wendellpotter.substack.com or just Google me and Healthcare Uncovered and you'll find it. The content is free. I do appreciate the paid subscriptions because that helps us to do more reporting. Uh, we have, I think, some of the best analysis and, and uh, uh, essays on healthcare that anybody's producing, things that other reporters are not covering. Uh, and And uh, we have some other voices that contribute as well, too. So thank you very much. And I hope people will sign up. Again, it's free, but we certainly appreciate the paid subscriptions. It helps us a great deal. Wendell Potter, one of the leading national advocates for major healthcare reform in the country and the author of Deadly Spin, an insurance company insider speaks out on how corporate PR is killing healthcare and deceiving Americans as well as the other book that he just mentioned that will also be in this blog. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you so much, Egberto. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Egberto uh, from Bridge. Egberto, Trump shares bizarre video declaring, uh, God made Trump, suggested he is embracing a messianic Image. Donald Trump shared a video declaring that God made him to lead the country. The fan made video frames Trump as a messianic figure and a workaholic. Polls show many evangelical Christians believe God appoint, anointed him to rule. Former President Donald Trump shared a bizarre fan made video 
on Truth Social, which declared that he was divinely chosen to lead the country. And on June 14, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God gave us Trump. The video starts. The narrator goes on to frame Trump as a messianic figure who was created by God. Fight the Marxist and call out the fake news. I saw it. For their tongues as sharp as serpents. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. We're, the screen's blinking today, but I'll, I'll put it on for a short period, and then I, I'll, I'll get the video cut out sometime later. But it's a shame that we have people who believe this crap. It's a shame. I, I, I mean, oh. I tell you, I'm, I'm th- you got 30-something percent of the population who buys this crap. And, uh, you know, you wonder about the mental stability of the people who buy into this, the people who believe that FBI agents are the ones who infiltrated it. You have to wonder about the mental act. You really have to wonder, right? Anyway, E2247 says, Wendell Potter is not speaking to the overwhelming debilitation of the U.S. congressional executive and judicial neoliberalism that must be replaced to achieve the goals. Actually, he is. Uh, he is. He is. Daniela Doe, Bridge, fair funny, but all know that God has forsaken America already. Oh, Lord. I tell you what, let's go listen to uh, Jasmine Crockett. Jasmine Crockett has a little message here. Uh, you know, everybody, Donald Trump likes to speak about China uh, as like the other people are helping out China, etc. Well, check this one out and then we'll take it on the other side. Let me go ahead and make sure and get this stuff right. There we go. Republicans, specifically Republicans in Congress, would have you believe that somehow uh, they need to investigate the president of the United States because his son uh, has been getting money from foreign governments for who knows what, right? Uh, they, they want to find a connection between Hunter Biden and the president doing something illicit. Of course, they have no proof of that. It is unlikely they could ever find proof of that, but they want the attempt is they want to have symmetry between Trump and Biden. In other words, uh, Trump was impeached. They'd love to be able to say, hey, Biden was impeached too. What's up? It doesn't really matter. But what's interesting is that as they're going after searching for things they have no evidence of, Donald Trump, in effect, was paid for by many foreign governments, which is really illegal unless he gets some sort of permission from Congress, he was getting a lot of money. And you know who the major country that gave this guy money was? China. The, 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 country, the, com- the country that he always tries to tell his supporters, oh, that's because of China, the China virus, all of that. Talk about the classic double talk and looking at his American followers as fools. In other words, hey guys, uh, you know when he's talking about China? Remember, he's making a killing from China. I want you to listen to this. Listen to what Justin Crockett had to say. Listen to all the different 
uh, the different violations of the emoluments, uh, the emoluments clause that he is going to check this out. We'll take it on the other side. New report has just been published that shows actual proof of Biden's predecessor making nearly eight million dollars from foreign governments during his presidency. A brand new 156 page report out today by Democrats on the House Oversight Committee finds at least 20 countries spent money at Trump's hotels and properties, including Trump Tower in New York and his hotels in Las Vegas and D.C. The committee's ranking member, Congressman Jamie Raskin, writing in the report, quote, by elevating his personal financial interests and the policy priorities of corrupt foreign powers over the American public interests, former President Trump violated both the clear commands of the Constitution and the careful precedent set by and observed by every previous commander in chief. Raskin makes sure to point out this is just a small glimpse the dealings of the ex-president and his company. Democrats only received information on four of Trump's businesses out of more than 500 that he has had. The report says it is true that $7.8 million is almost certainly only a fraction of Trump's harvest of unlawful foreign state money. This figure itself is a scandal and a decisive spur to action. And adds, critically, even this subset of documents reveals a stunning web of millions of dollars in payments made by foreign governments and their agents directly to Trump-owned businesses while President Trump was in the White House. These payments were made while these governments were promoting specific foreign policy goals with the Trump administration and even at times with President Trump himself. And as they were requesting specific actions from the United States to advance their own national policy objectives. Representative Crockett, walk us through the findings. Yeah, so what I want the American people first to understand is that this isn't uh, a knee-jerk reaction to the sham impeachment inquiry that we're dealing with. This is something that started seven years ago. And... Elijah Cummings actually was the ranking member, and he's the one that started this because he did have concerns because any other president would divest themselves of their interests, but Trump refused to do so. All right, so we started seven years ago, and I know people are saying, well, why are we just now talking about it now? Well, Trump, like Trump likes to do, has fought this in court for years and years and years. It wasn't until September of 22 that he entered into a settlement agreement. And in that settlement agreement, his accounting firm was supposed to hand over documentation. So from September until basically January, we were starting to get some documents. And those few documents revealed the information that you just gave. And these are all conservative estimates. The problem that we have is that in January of 2023, Comer swore in as the chair of the committee and Comer said, there's no need to comply anymore. Let's dismiss this all, obstructing our ability to know just how deep it went with Trump. And of that figure that you've given, I can tell you that almost six million dollars of that money specifically was money from China. Talk to me about the China piece of it. So when we start talking about China, think about where we are in this country right now. We've got a sitting U.S. president that is trying to get a package through that will help our friends in the Middle East, those struggling in Gaza, as well as Israel. He's also talking about money that needs to go to the Ukrainians, as well as money to Taiwan. So when we think about it, what is the money for Taiwan for? It's because 
China has made it clear that they actually want to go into Taiwan and invade them. We also don't know about the money as it relates to Russia. That's information that we didn't get. We know that he has businesses in Russia, but we didn't get the information about the money. So when we're getting the obstruction from the Republicans, not wanting to help the Ukrainians, not wanting to help the Taiwanese, we have to wonder if they are getting their signal from Trump and Trump is giving the signal because of all of the money that he's gotten, not to mention the overlap as it relates to various trademarks. It became clear that there's disclosures that Trump did not give when he was sitting in the Oval Office that he's now giving now that he's running in 23. We just now learned that while he was in office, he received trademarks from the Chinese government at the same time that they're somehow checking into his hotels and things like that. And to be clear also for the American people, it's not a strict prohibition. The prohibition says, yeah, you can't just do it. But if you are going to try to do it, you at least have to come to Congress and let Congress Mm -hmm. make the ultimate decision. He chose not to do that. So there was another option. And the fact that he decided not to makes it only look like more shady Trump business. Now, think about this, folks. Um, This is this should be big news, right? You would think that instead of concentrating on whether Biden is too old, on whether Hunter Biden uh, pictures are worth seeing, or whether Hunter Biden's money somehow ended up in the hands of uh, the president of the United States, for which you don't have any evidence. Hey, you have all the evidence in your hands that Donald Trump was on the take, on the take from several other countries, right? Not only that, what's the probability that an experienced guy like President President Trump's uh, son-in-law, who has no experience of doing anything competent, would get control of $2 billion from the Saudis? Hmm. Do you think there is something there? Do you think there is something owed? I wonder, folks, we got to be serious. Uh, And we understand that the 33 percent devoted Trump, Trump is devoted MAGA that that uh, their minds are not functioning well. We can understand that they will likely stick with Donald Trump again. But if you are of sane mind. If you care about your country, how can you possibly stick with this insurrectionist? How could you possibly stick with this evil person? How could you possibly stick with somebody whose intent is not to build up America, but to destroy America, not specifically, but in such a form that it enriches himself? Exactly right. Exactly right. Anyhow, let's see. Paul Fleming says Republicans are part of a white identity and hegemony. Their politics are based on a narrative of natural white superiority and on natural white victimization. They are intellectual heirs of the Confederacy, uh, which uh, makes it hard for them to criticize it. It is interesting because uh, back in those days, you would be talking about the Democratic Party, Fleming. Interestingly, the Dixiecrats now have become the uh, the new Republican Party, and the progressives have actually migrated all to the Democratic Party. It's amazing how that transition occurred, and it occurred when uh, Johnson signed the uh, 
the um, Civil Rights Act. And he said, I would lose this for a generation. Um, Yvette, uh, Avery Herod, with respect to Eric Hayes, I, I feel for Eric. Eric doesn't understand that he, he is in. I'm going to say this as kind as I can, because all you, you know, uh, all you have to look at is somebody's proclivity to attack and who they attack. And it gives you an idea of that person's uh, proclivity towards prejudice. And that is Eric. He, he may not want to accept it, but uh, if you notice every single time we put up somebody on the screen that is a minority or whatever, he demeans them with a laugh or he demeans their character. I, I wasn't even going to answer that one from Eric Hayes. I was going to let it slide. But yeah, I know Justin, I mean, uh, uh, Jasmine Crockett personally, right? Not only do I know her, I've interviewed her on our program three or four different times. Yeah, she's very smart. She'll run rings about around Eric Hayes intellectually and professionally. She's a juggernaut, right? Uh, she She's very, very smart. Uh, she's an attorney at law, but. As far as technical capacity, she's just wonderful, marvelous, great. But when, if you take a look at what uh, what um, brother um, from our, our Atlanta brother, God, why do I why do I go blank sometimes? Paul Fleming has said there's a certain there's a certain group of People, we're not talking about our white brothers and sisters like Bridge MCP and Tom C, etc. But there's a certain sect that that feel uh, that feel they can only supersede some inferiority complex by putting down somebody else, and they do it with that tonation that has racial overtones. You take a look at how many in this group talk about criminality. They make criminality seem as if it is color-based, right? But when you look at true criminality, you find that in reality, that's not the case at all. In fact, there may be a higher preponderance dependent on how the statistics are read because black folks are entered into the system while many white folks are not entered into the system. And if you're using your system to develop your stats, then your stats will be skewed. Exactly. So uh, I, I, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up, uh, Yvette Avery Herod, because I think it needed to be addressed. So yeah, there are several in our, in our chat who do not realize that tinge of racism that lives within their hearts. And I hope that by calling that out, right? I hope by calling that out, they will self-examine that some of the things are, are, are uh, these microaggressions. You know, I am, I'm, I, I am on chapter 20 now. Um, I'm completely re-releasing my book, uh, Tribulations of Afro-Latino-Caribbean Man. And I'm putting it in paperback. And last night I got done with chapter 20. It's going to be about 110 pages long by the time I'm all done. So it's going to be an easy read. 
I want people to go through. I, I hope a lot of folks uh, buy both here and and um, and around because personally, I've gone through a lot. I keep a smile on my face. I learn how to address every group, but it is ironic what one in our hue, Yvette, you lived it because of both being black and a woman. Did you live it for being a woman, white and gay? Uh, it is, it is amazing what you have to go through and how insensitive and unempathetic some can be to try to live through your own skin. Of course, I picked those things up very quickly. I just refuse to let these things slide. I hear you, my dear, beautiful lady. I hear you. I hear you. I generally let it slide until I figure the way to do it is to, you know, in, in making a difference. But you're absolutely right. There, uh, Eric makes a whole lot of those comments that are racially tinged. And uh, not only Eric, a few others as well. Um, but again, again, I hope as they continue to populate our chat, they will learn, they will empathize, and they'll kind of understand that even if they're not seeing it because of tunnel vision, they may start to expand their horizon. Anyway, I got to get out of here. Before I go, though, I want to remind my brothers and my sisters to support the program. Uh, and how can you do that? I'm just going to give you two links real quickly. Please go to politicsandright.com support, politicsandright.com support. And uh, that has all the different forms in which you can support the program. And of course, the last one is I ask you to become a paid member of our newsletter. The newsletter is free, but if you become a paid member, all our books are read for free. That's politicsandright.com slash newsletter, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Thank you so kindly for being here, everybody. Love you all. I even love my racist in the group, in, in, the, in the field, because I understand that's how many of you were reared. But I hope with this interaction, this civil interaction, that you can self-examine and understand where you really are. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.